Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. I believe the Lord has given me a word for this, for this moment, and I think we've, we've seen exemplified in this room some incredible illustrations that are really going to challenge us in our faith. So I want to encourage you with that today. Um, I, I wanna, let me just start off with a little exercise, okay? If, if this group of people who were just here gracing our platform and ministering to us, if they are second generation to you, I want you to stand up. If these were your kids, <laughs> I'm thinking of how to break it down for you. Let me, let me ask you this now. If, if, the, if the individuals on this platform were third generation, your grandchildren... You being first. Stand up. That's all the grandparents? Okay, cool. That's good. That's good. That's good. If you, if you are a parent, grandparent, stand up. Your kid didn't have to be up here on this platform. <laughs> By the way, just a, a disclaimer. What I, what I want you to see, because I want to I speak to you today on the subject of having a first-generation faith. And what I want to show you today, I hope by the time we resolve here our time together, what I hope to illustrate for you today is that it is imperative that each one of us embrace a first-generation faith for ourselves, because it is it is hard at best to pass off spiritual hand-me-downs and nothing is as translatable from one generation to the next as authentic experiential faith Somebody who can stand in the place and say, I have tasted and seen, not because I've heard, but because I know, because I have met the master face to face, and I know that he's good, and I'm here to tell you that he's good. You can be seated. Sorry to throw you all off with that generational mumbo-jumbo. I realize standing here today, I want to talk to you about having a first generation faith because I believe the Lord impressed that upon my heart because at seasons like this, you know, there's always a lot of talk about generations. It's, it's a time when, you know, you see a lot of these posed pictures and, you know, it's, it's the great grandparents and the grandparents and then the parents and then the babies, you know, we've got four or five generations there in that one shot and, and, um, we talk about generations, and, and honestly, we are a people who really embrace tradition. And we can, we can embrace tradition so much so that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves in a place spiritually where we are not living in an authentic faith. We are living in an inherited faith. 
We are, we are walking according to the tradition of generations who have gone before. We are, we are embracing an ideology that's been handed to us, but not an experience that we have known for ourselves. Does that make sense? Are you, are you following along with me here? Okay, good. You know, and I, it's, I, I, I say this because I believe that parents, parents, you're looking at me. You're looking at Pastor T who was here. You're looking at our other next-gen pastors who are coming through. And you know what? I am so thankful for our next-gen leaders here at Faith Assembly Church and, and what they're pouring in. But let me just tell you this. If you're looking at them and saying, wow, they are going to be the miracle worker, the, the godsend in the life of my child, you know it's been said that an ounce of parent is worth a pound of preacher. In other words, what, what we do here is to reinforce and to partner and come alongside of what you're already doing at home. And let me tell you something. If they're coming to the house of the Lord to learn about heaven on Sunday, but they're living through hell Monday through Saturday in your home, it's not going to help a whole lot. Parents are poised to make a great impact in the spiritual direction of their children. And you know what? I stand here today. I realize Lisa and I, Pastor Lisa and I both are thankful for a rich heritage and the inheritance of a spiritual legacy. It's a legacy of faithfulness and dedicated service. It's a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. It's a legacy of obedience to the will of the Lord. I was thinking earlier when I was writing these things down that, uh, you know, once in, in my early childhood, you know, when I was a, a baby, a toddler maybe, I can't remember the exact age, I had an onset of a terrible rash and the doctor had prescribed this very expensive medicine and, and uh, the Lord spoke to... Um, the Lord spoke to, to my mom and my parents and said, hey, if you will take the money that this is going to cost and you will give it to the support of Teen Challenge Ministry, I'll heal your baby. And they did that. And I was healed within, within a few days. I was, it, it was gone. You know, and, and I just, I appreciate that legacy of obedience. But what I want to... Somewhere along the way, and what you need to understand, though, is the two of us are not standing before you, leading the church, influencing lives, and impacting the community as we are if the faith that we received as an inheritance of the second generation, perhaps third or fourth, somewhere along the way does not become first generation in our own hearts. I want to clarify what I mean when I'm talking about generation because there's a lot said about generations. There's all these talking heads carrying on about the significance of each generation and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not talking about specific designations. I'm not talking about boomers and busters and Gen Z and millennials and, and all those different things. I'm talking about the succession of inheritances from, from a preceding people to a succeeding people. I'm talking about from you to your kids. I'm talking about from your parents to you, from your grandparents to your parents. I'm, I'm talking about that, that handing off of spiritual legacy. When we speak about this, I'm, I'm talking about the transmission of a thing between any group who has gone before and those who are coming behind. 
And what I'm about to share is important for the enrichment of your own life, but it's also absolutely vital for the generation that's coming behind us. And I want to challenge us today as believers, I want to challenge us today as parents, as grandparents, whatever the case may be, what I'm saying is that there are none of us and none of them that are going to make it who are going to ride on the coattails of a preceding generation into the favor and the anointing and the blessing of Almighty God. Having seen the faith of another, having heard the good news of the gospel and been influenced by the same, it is incumbent upon every generation to take the ownership of that faith and understanding that there is a course that has been charted for our lives. Why is that so important, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Because you are the first and the only you that God has ever made. And the faith of your parents, the faith of your grandparents, it may have done something to whet an appetite on the inside of you, but there is a God-ordained, God-designed, God-blueprinted, God-purposed life on the inside of you that needs a faith that is not the perpetuation of a preceding generation, but it is a fire shut up in your bones that is real, that is relevant in the day that you're living. I want to give you three principles that underscore why it's important that our faith is first-generation faith. Number one is that you and I as parents, as men and women of God, as patriarchs and matriarchs of families, we are called to be influencers. That's our call, and it is, is to be influencers. Let me tell you something. You are the pace-setter spiritually speaking in your household not the church not the preacher not the kids pastor not the youth pastor you are the spiritual pace setter standard bearer in your home there there are things there are things in life there are times when you will have to stand up and just simply declare as for me and my house Look, I, I think you, probably, I'm going to say something here in just a minute that, that, that some of you are not going to understand and some of you have heard it before. And I think we need to reacquaint ourselves with the phraseology because I think it begins to need to be recited in this generation. Because I don't know where we come to the place that the kids run the home but, and, and who put that kid in the corner office, but he needs an eviction notice and the men and women of God need to stand up and take control of their households spiritually, morally, and begin declaring, thus says the Lord over that place. When I was a kid, they used to tell me something like this. Well, let me tell you something. I don't care what their mama does and lets them do. And I don't care what their daddy says is okay. But as long as you're sleeping under my roof and as long as your legs are swinging under my table, it ain't going to be that way here. Now, when you're grown, you can do whatever you want to. But as long as you're here, ask for me and my house. And I'm just calling out today for some spiritual standard bearers to get up in the face of the filth and degradation of this generation and not be afraid anymore to declare, thus says the Lord over your household. You know, our world is full of influencers. 
As a matter of fact, I just discovered in the past couple of years that it's a thing that you can make a living being an influencer. Like, they call it work. They, they, get on, they get on social media platform, they take a little 15, 30 second, 45 second video of themselves telling you how you're supposed to think about something, how you're supposed to feel about something, what you're supposed to buy, how you're supposed to vote, and all these things, and they call themselves influencers, and they make money hand over fist. And you're talking to a guy that grew up in a eastern North Carolina tobacco patch. I didn't know that making money was that easy. We actually had to work. But I want you to just, just think about that. Influencers, they're called. Influencers. And your kids and your grandkids have them right there in the palm of their hand. A world full of them. Voices that are speaking. People that are purposefully trying to influence them to sway their opinion, to sway their worldview, to sway the way that they see things in the spirit and the way that they process life. Yeah. They tell us what products are on trend. They tell us what clothes are in style. They inform us of their opinions of current affairs. You know, we have teenage climatologists that, that get up there and, you know, and out of the abundance of their wisdom, they tell us uh, all the things that we've done wrong in, in relation to global warming and all these things. We have, people, we have people who can't figure out what gender they are doing, doling out advice to our kids about relationships and sexuality. We, we have those who have given their hearts over to the service of the demonic who are offering their opinions, their influence about spirituality. Every company in the marketplace is looking for an influencer to inform the masses of the superiority of their goods and services. And there are two kinds of people in this world. There are influencers and there are responders. There are those who say what should be, and then there are those who follow suit. There are those who assess what has been said. They respond. I might even say that there are in this generation reactors. We just, we, we hear, we, we react, we respond. And people, people who see the influence that's been leveraged they click through on the content. They buy the goods because if this person says that it's a must-have, then it must be a must-have. You ever done that? Right? You, you've done that. You've done that. I know you. You've done that. You saw it. You saw it on the Instagram reel. You saw it and you said, I've got to have it. I've just got to have it. You bought it. It's in your pantry. You've never taken it out of the box or used it one time. You got it for three easy payments of $39.95, and you've not used it one single time. But why? You, you did that because somebody told you that you couldn't live. They influenced you. They drove your decision-making. They, they influenced the way that you assessed your needs in life. They influenced you, and we have influencers, and we have responders, and we say, well, if that person says that this is the way things are, then who am I to argue against them? I mean, they have 2.5 million followers who watch their garbage every day. 
If this person says it's the way it is, then it it must be the way that it is, and it must be what's best. And line upon line, precept upon precept, it's the likes of these who are shaping the heart of a nation. It's the likes of these that are shaping the heart of a generation and holding great influence over the lives of those who respond to their celebrity. And people... Even Christians are responding and opening their hearts and opening their minds to the receptivity to every lie of the adversary that's coming through these forums. You know, one responder that I I really especially love are fact checkers. Don't you love a good fact checker? You know, it's tragic that ours ours is a society that either is either assumed to be so gullible that we need somebody to tell us whether or not something's true or in fact we have lost the skill of critical thought and I I think both may actually be in play here a lot of the time but we you and I almost every day see content with a disclaimer attached to it that says um, this content has been evaluated by independent fact checkers and found to be false you seen those? My question always is, you know, I ride by these burger places and they say, voted best burger in town. My question always is, by who? Because nobody ever asked me. And I just want to know, who are these people? But, you know, who are these people and against what are they comparing the product? Right? And and when I see these things pop up, this has been checked by the independent fact checkers, I want to go, who are these people? Does anybody know an independent fact checker? Who are they? And then here's my second question. What is their source material against which they compare the credibility of what's been presented Like, how did they determine that that's false? Is it according to their own political ideologies, according to their own belief system, against their own ideology about how the world ought to work, or is it actually, in fact, false? And and you know what? Can, Can I just speak graciously here because we the fact checkers always scanning the content to see if they can find this controversial issue they find it they analyze it they report back to us the supposed errancy of it and if I can just speak graciously with a lot of grace here but I want to be very honest sometimes I think Christian parents as parents although we have been called by God to be influencers in the home we've started acting more like responders I'm saying that it appears sometimes that we just, like, we've listened to how bad the world is and how how horrible things are, and and we just look on at our little babies and all their precious innocence, and we just stand there, and we wring our hands, and we wait, and we look in anticipation of the next wicked thing that's coming down the pike, and then when it finally comes around, we stand up and call foul. Ah, wait a minute. That's not right. No, wait, that's wrong. No, you shouldn't do that. But can I just tell you and just be be gracious here with you, there are times 
There are times in your life, there are times in your home when boundaries have to be drawn. There are times when a prophetic anointing will come upon you for the sake of those under your influence and you'll have to stand up and declare, thus says the Lord, and say this is not of God and that is not of God. But can I tell you that that's not your primary role in life? Your primary role in life is not to be the referee on the sideline who's watching the world against your family, but you're supposed to be the quarterback of the team calling the plays, directing the plan, and driving towards the goal. Not just standing there to call foul every time the world presents something that's not of God. I've been around people. I grew up around a lot of people. (laughs) Give me a second, I'll finish. (laughs) And their philosophy on life was, if there's any fun to be had in it, it's probably wrong. And I'm telling you, that's a hard life. That's a hard life. They just just stand there to hold it. Hey, foul! Foul ball! Don't do that! Don't do this! I I knew more about what I wasn't supposed to do than what I was supposed to do. Right? Because I was surrounded by fact checkers. Every time some content come out, I... Listen, you you need to set boundaries. I'm I'm not speaking against that. You need to have the standards. I think we've already established that. I'm not saying ignore them. But my my burning question for you, Mom, my burning question for your dad is, what is is your source material by which you're making your assessments? Because you know what? In, In 20 plus years of pastoral ministry, and Pastor Wayne's here, he can probably attest to this. I've had a lot of conversations with people about spiritual things, about theological issues. And you know what? Anytime that it comes down that we just differ on the theological idea, we just agree to disagree and just say, you know what? We're, we're never going to see it the same way we agree to disagree. But the times that I have clearly upset people the most is when I have transgressed the theology of Mimo. It doesn't matter if it was scriptural. I'll say something. I'll give opinion. I'll give a direction. I'll, I'll try to give guidance, offer guidance. And, and somebody comes to me invariably, and they're standing there going, say, well, you know, I don't agree with that. Why don't you agree with that? And you begin to say, what's your, in other words, what's your source material? Well, you're expecting chapter and verse. They're going to come to you with chapter and verse. No, no, no. Here's what they come to you with. Well, I've always heard or I've always been taught, or my mama always told me, or my grandma always said, and they give you all of these second-hand. In other words, they're not associated with any real faith or conviction about it that's come from a revelation from God. They're toting around a second-hand faith, and they don't know what to do with it or how to rightly apply it. And they're upset because they're living their lives, spiritually speaking, trying to perpetuate the faith of a different generation rather than owning the faith in the first generation. And we, we need, listen, we need the influence of godly elders in our lives. I, I know that I have been the benefactor of a rich, rich heritage of serving the Lord. But I want to tell you something today. If all you've got 
is the recitation of somebody else's convictions, then you're living a second generation life of faith. And I'm telling you, God doesn't have grandchildren. He has sons and daughters. You, you can't be vicariously a person of faith because your mother or your father was a person of faith. It has to become something on the inside of you. And, and if, you, if you must respond, and there are times when we need to respond, there's that prophetic anointing that's going to bring warning against the things of the world. And when you're bringing that rebuke to your household and those you influence, it doesn't need to be because you think it's going to upset grandma or because you think the church folks are going to think ill of it or because it runs counter to the tradition of men. It needs to be because you've been spending time with Christ yourself and you know thus says the Lord. It needs to be because you're satisfied saturating your spirit with the word of the Lord and it's transformed your thinking. It needs to be because there's a quickening in your spirit that undergirds you with a holy anointing to prophesy and declare the righteousness of God in this generation. It needs to be, it needs to be that way. Why? Because that way is authentic. That way is real. That way is effective. And the other way is just annoying. You're like a gnat. I've seen more people leave the faith because they couldn't satisfy success at preceding generations. And they finally got tired of trying to live a life to satisfy somebody else's convictions, so they withdraw from the faith. When it, when it comes to influence, however, I want to recommend a way that is, I believe, more excellent, a more excellent way Understanding that our primary call, and there are times in the scripture when we see rebuke coming from men and women of God, but our primary call as believers is not to, not to rebuke, but to exalt God. To exalt God. You know, God, God spoke to Joshua as he was coming into his season of succession. I, I, I can just see this in my mind. It's like there's this big boulder there. And God says, Joshua, sit down a minute. I want to talk to you. There's some things that you need to tell the next generation. Okay? God did not say to Joshua, now Joshua, I want you to tell the people about the hazards of idolatry. Joshua, I want you to tell the people all about the wickedness of the Canaanites. Joshua, I want you to... I want you to tell the people about how corrupt it really is on the inside the walls of Jericho and that they need to stay away from that because if they get into that, they don't want to be tangled up in that. He didn't say, I want you to tell them about the terror that comes from serving the Baal. No, no, he said, he said, Joshua, I want you to tell the people about the manna in the wilderness. I want you to tell the people about the water that flowed from the rock. I want you to tell them about the armies of the Pharaoh overtaken by the seas. Tell them about the walls of Jericho crumbling down. Tell them about the waters in the river stacking up when the priests put their foot in and how God made away and he drove out the Canaanites before us. Tell them about the walls of our enemies crumbling. Exalt the Lord and magnify his goodness to the next generation. 
let me, let, me just, let me just tell you this. Let me, let me just give you this recommendation. And it's just Steve, but I'm going to give you this recommendation. Rather than trying to make the next generation so scared of the world that they run to God, why don't we try to make them so aware of the goodness of God that they don't want anything that this world has to offer? It's important that you and I have a first-generation faith because you and I, as men and women of God, we're not called to perpetuate a spiritual legacy, but we're called to create spiritual legacy. God did not call you to perpetuate the faith of your predecessor. It was great, and God used them, and God used them to influence your life. But God didn't call you to perpetuate their faith. He called you to own a faith of your own. And many of us, and here's the problem with being an influencer, is that many of us know not how to influence because we're not first generation in our faith. In our family, and, and you know, we're not first generation in faith in our family, and therefore we don't know we have the authority to declare the word of the Lord over the lives of our family. We're perhaps second, maybe third, but not, not first. Maybe, maybe we're second gen and we've seen the sacrifices and the struggles and we, we just, we're really in tune and we know how important this is, but we really lack personal conviction about it. Maybe we're third generation or fourth generation believer and, you know, it's just commonplace and our family is just, you know, has always been this way, so we're just indifferent to the things of God. Can I tell you something? God is doing incredible things here at Faith Assembly Church. We've, in the past several months, I mean, we've, we've seen people baptized and, and just come to salvation. I mean, we had salvations this morning in the first service. I believe we had physical healings this morning in the first service. I'm claiming that in the name of Jesus because we touched, two or three touched and agreed and believed, and, and I believe that we have that authority as believers. And, and I believe that. And these young people that just came in here, you understand they're back there in kids' church. And, and they're third generation among many in this room. But there's coming a day that they will succeed us. They will come in and they will fill the places and the roles and the things where you are sitting right now in this moment. And here's what they may or may not understand. They may or may not understand the prayer. They may or may not understand the sacrifice. They may or may not understand the fasting and the seeking God and the waiting and the calling and the crying out that went into being positioned for God to move in the measure that he is. And they might walk in the house and assume that it's just always been this way and therefore it will continue to be that way. And it won't. There's no guarantee that just because it has been, it always will be. Because the promise of the word is that you will seek for me and you will find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. Not just ride the wake of what a generation did before. And, you know, we need to be careful to honor those who have gone before I, I just, I look, I look across this congregation and I'm telling you, I'm just so impressed with the, 
the, the generational legacy that I see in this room. Of, you know, I'm looking and I see, I see the, the matriarchs and the patriarchs of families as, you've, as, you've, as years have passed and I see your influence in the lives of your children. I'm looking at pews right now. I'm seeing grandparents and grandchildren with parents in between sitting all on the same pew and I, that is amazing. That, that is absolutely incredible. And I, I think we honor those who, who are going before, who have been before, but, and I think we see this in Paul's writing to Timothy as he reminds him about the influences that he's had in his own life. And if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want to share with you a quick text, and then we're going to bring this home. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved brother, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, and without ce- as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Listen to this. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, if you, if you highlight, underscore, whatever, just that's a key phrase right there, the genuine faith. Genuine faith. The genuine faith. That is, and here's another operative phrase, in you. In you. And let's just be honest for a minute. There are a lot of people warming the pews of a church right now, that the genuine faith stopped with a preceding generation. They're there because it's the tradition of the family. They're just carrying on an old family tradition. But there's no real heart, there's no real conviction about it. They're just perpetuating what they inherited. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first, here it is. It dwelt first. There was a genuine faith that was in your grandmother Lois. And she passed that spiritual legacy to your mother Eunice. But it was a genuine faith that I saw in Lois, and then I saw it again in Eunice, and now I've seen it to you. I've seen it in you. It's been passed down, not just a tradition, not just a way that our family is, but a genuine faith. And let me tell you something, the only way to get a genuine faith is to have a real experience with a resurrected Lord. Not because somebody else influenced your life or skewed your worldview, but because you have tasted and seen for yourself that the Lord is good. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you by the, through the laying on of my hands. Listen, Paul here does not negate the fact that without the influence of godly parents, grandparents, that Timothy may not be where he is today. But he does underscore the fact that not only was this faith inherited by Timothy's mother from the grandmother and then passed to him, but with each generation now pictured here, it had been authenticated and they were each living a first-generation faith. Are you with me? Paul calls it a genuine faith. It's not that the faith, it's not just that faith was received by Timothy, 
it's now that this is the faith owned by Timothy. Listen, to live a life that is simply subservient to the legacy of another, I would say at best is passionless and does not translate well to the next generation. And I would go so far as to say that because of that, it may actually be pointless because it ends with you. And wherever you are, you may be listening to me right now. You may be a grandparent. You may be sitting here in all your collective wisdom, nodding your head, your experience, your understanding what I'm saying. You've seen this before and it's just resonating with you. Maybe you're a parent and this is a challenging word for you. And maybe you're in this place right now and you're a teenager and you're going, you know what, I don't know that I'm there yet. Yes, you are. Because as time passes and the Lord tarries his coming, should that happen, one day you're going to occupy the space of the person you're seated next to. You're going to be the parent. You're going to be the grandparent. And there's going to be those that are coming behind you that are dependent upon you owning a genuine faith so that what they receive is not some watered-down, anemic version of a life of faith that's just been passed on from generation to generation, but it's the fire of God that has been received into their own lives and they are prophets and prophetesses in their own generation. Speaking the word of truth and being a lamp of righteousness in this world. pointless because when you're perpetuating legacy you saw the passion you saw the sacrifice you saw the service you understood what it meant and the next generation sees what you're doing as you're repeating you're you're like on that shampoo bottle cycle wash rinse and repeat we're just doing the same thing we saw done over and over again but because of the lack of passion because of their lack of understanding they're they're no ways as committed to it as you are and they'll just give up can I, can I be real? Let me just be real raw and real frank here for just a minute. It's Mother's Day. I understand that. And some of you may be in church for the first or the second time this year. And the reason you're in church today is because you've come to honor the godly legacy of a mother. But really, you don't have that deep of a connection to it yourself. You've understood that it's important to her. And maybe you feel some sense of guilt or conviction that it should be important to you. But for the life of you, you can't really figure out why. Because you've never sought the Lord. You've never pressed in. You've never found out that he's good. You've just been perpetuating the faith of a preceding generation. I'm telling you that the call of the Lord over your life today is this. That you, you, like Peter told the the children of Israel, you are a chosen generation. I'm telling you today that you are a chosen generation. You, You may be looking on at the spiritual giants in your life and saying, well, you know what, as long as I'm walking in their shadows, I don't, I don't need, no, no, no. You are a chosen generation. You need, you need first gen faith for yourself. I want you to stand up all over this place right now because I want to tell you something, and this is my third thing. You don't have any idea how blessed Timothy was that Paul saw in his life genuine faith. This is, this is incredible, incredible, incredible. 
And, and the, I want to illustrate this for you because I want to back up to a couple of biblical narratives and I believe we can find this other places in scripture as well. But do you remember a man by the name of Moses? There was a man by the name of Moses that God appeared to in a burning bush and he said, Moses, I've got this call for you. I've got this mission. I've got this vision for your life. And this is what I want you to do. And Moses said, I'll do it. And Moses did it with all that he had until finally there come a day. But the Moses had to begin to prophesy and to speak over and to transmit his faith to a successor. And that successor's name, we mentioned him a little bit earlier, was Joshua. And, and Joshua carried on the mission that he inherited from, a, from Moses. He carried on the conquest that he inherited from Moses. But, it, but here's what I'm asking. Somewhere along the way, something must have happened that Joshua never really received a revelation from the Lord of his own with a new vision and a renewed burden and a renewed passion to, to just settle in and really honor God and occupy because the Word says that when Joshua died and all of his generation, there arose a generation who knew the, neither knew the Lord nor the things that God had done for Israel. You remember I asked you to stand up. I wanted you to identify yourself because I wanted to show you how important it is because I'm looking across this crowd today and you ain't fooling me. I know that for many of you, these people that were up here represented third generation for you. There's a, there's a passionate group that took the mountains and they charged the gates of the enemies and they saw God do miracles. And they pass on this faith to the next generation and they never give them the why for the what and they half-heartedly go through the motions and a third generation dies faithless I'm saying what are we doing church what are we doing Elijah Elisha Elijah was a powerful man of God Elisha saw that in him and he said, God, I want what he's got. I want you to give me a double portion of what he's got. But where Elisha failed was he never said, God, give me a vision for my own life. You realize that? That is this whole thing that Elisha did twice the miracles of Elijah. That's more of a credit to Elijah than it is to Elisha. Because really what Elisha prayed in that moment is God help me perpetuate what Elijah was already doing. But it wasn't just a surrender to say God here am I. Use me. Do through me whatever you want to do. And we saw Elijah pass off to Elisha. And Elisha's successor was Gehazi and he was a bum. I mean, just, that's the Steve's International Version, but I think that's what it says. Oh, look over and over and over at the countless cycles of the times that, that, that Israel was on fire for the Lord, repentant, ready to turn, first generation. And then the second generation comes and they build a legalistic structure around this, this fire of God to try to perpetuate the legacy of the first. And the third comes along and says, ah, who cares? Let's just live like the pagans. Honestly, this whole heartless service here, there's nothing to it. We'll just, we'll just cast that aside 
You know, I, I actually, one of the thoughts that spurred this whole message was this. I was reading an article the other day in a, in a business magazine, and it, it says this, you know, talking about small business and family-owned businesses and things like that being the backbone of the American economy and all this kind of stuff. And I, I believe that. I really do. But it's, it said this, family-owned businesses. You have the pioneers of the business who get it up, get it started. They sweat. They sacrifice. They work. They work, they work, they cry, and they work, and they pray, and they work, and they build it up. Most of them dragging it up out of some tragedy in life and, and just going ahead. When that business is passed on to the second generation, 60% of them fail. Of those 60% that make it to the third generation, I'm sorry, of the 40% that make it to the third generation, 90% of those businesses fail. And, and I believe, here's the thing, because Gen 2 saw, they weren't a part of it, but they saw what Gen 1 did. And they understood the value of it. But by the time Gen 3 shows up, they just know that's what's always been. And they don't understand the sacrifice and the work and everything that, that was there. And they, they, they neglect it and they, they have no value for it. And it fails. And it falls. And I'm telling you what's true, what's true in the physical there, I believe is very true in the spiritual as well. So I'm urging you, mom. I'm urging you, dad. This is like you ever throw a stone in the middle of a body of water that's there and it's placid. And, and like... It, it begins these concentric circles and at first they're really sharp and crisp edges and really defined but the further it emanates away from it the looser that pattern becomes and the the less distinguishable it is from the water around it and I'm telling you that that if we're not first-generation faith the, the generation that's coming behind us doesn't stand a chance we need to get on our face before God we need to call down the fire of heaven we need to surrender ourselves at an altar and just call out and say God have your way in me Lord move in my life I, I appreciate those who have gone before but I know that what they had is not what you have for me God use me We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.